In celebration of Father's Day yesterday and birthdays generally, that's German composer Johann Christian Bach. Symphony in G minor, opus 6, number 6, part 3, Allegro Molto, and apologies if any of that was wrong. And Johann Christian Bach, or JC for short, was born on September the 5th. 1735 in Leipzig, Germany. He was the youngest son of Johann Sebastian Bach, the more famous Bach, it would have to be said. Uh, JC was the youngest son. His father had 20 children altogether with two wives, although only 10 survived to adulthood. And Encyclopedia Britannia notes that although Johann Christian Bach never grew to be a profound composer, his music was always sensitive and imaginative. They'd be damned with faint praise, it would seem, wouldn't it? I would have thought that Matthew's passion was quite profound, but hey. <laughs> Do you listen to classical music, Zoe? Oh, of course. I used to work at RNZ Concert. Oh, well, you do. Then, then well, yeah. you never do anymore. So <laughs> no, OP, I don't now, no. <laughs> so OP definitely stands for Opus. There you go. Yeah, oh, and it was, that's a beautiful piece of music. I love Bach. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, there's, it's quite joyful for me, and it almost it elicits for me a bit of springtime, which we're heading into, and the flowers blooming. And, yeah, I mean, it was yep. great fun working at RNZ Concert for, I think it was about four, four or so years and um, and I have a background in classical piano and um, I've, you know, performed operas and all sorts of things. So it's really nice. That's my other other love, you know, Aren't other than ice cream, one? fashion and rugby <laughs> is music. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of a well-rounded, all-rounded person. Renaissance really. woman. And what yes. an incredible family they were, the Bucks. Mm. You know, there were so many of them. Mm. Does that make what, them incredible? <laughs> the fact that there's so many of them <laughs> who were composers. Well, I was just thinking his poor wives, like how many kids, my goodness. Like yeah. we're just having one baby scares me, like, you know, but having all of those babies. No do you, thanks. Have, do you have one baby? No, I have, well, unless you call a fur baby a baby, um, <laughs> which he's high maintenance and is currently sitting by me looking at me wanting food. But he's got this amazing ability to know when I'm on radio and... Um, I used to build little micro huts and sit under it when I was recording. And the last time I did that, he jumped on it and it just collapsed. And so he gets a mention every time I'm on here. But he's um, he's a three-legged cat. I nearly lost him last year. It cost me mumble, mumble, thousands of dollars to try and save him. And I was like, if this is how much kids cost and possibly a lot more, then I'm good. So, Zoe, <laughs> Zoe are you suggesting that uh, if you mention your cat on air, the cat won't yeah. attack you while you're... <laughs> Well, this is this is the thing. For some reason, he just knows. Um, uh-huh. When I was recording the, you, I did you the stick podium. With that story, pod- yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I do. He's like, please. I gave him enough food before I came on here, and he's like, no. And normally, he just ignores me, but he just has this innate sense that I'm doing something important. Um, when I was doing the podcast for stuff the podium he we were just about to hit record and he decided it was a great idea to upchuck a furball right by me when i'm just about to record and um yeah we nearly left it in the podcast this is why people go to the office right (laughs) yeah this is right this is right so um it's a love affair i can tell Mm. oh yeah oh absolutely i love him to bits i love him to bits he's an I have to tell you that the feedback regarding the genes is quite something. John says, wow, gosh, all the gender shaming going on in your genes story, Karen. Would you have your panellists laughing at women's clothing? I somehow think not because it would be misogynist, wouldn't it? The laughable double, double standard of our feminist culture. John from Waikanae. I don't think he was listening. I think we all made a point of saying people should be able to be comfortable in the clothes they like to wear, didn't we? 
Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Feel comfortable. Yeah. Feel empowered by the clothes that you wear. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't like a column going, this is what women should wear. If tell, someone tells me what I should wear, I tell them to jog on. It's my choice. Good phrase. Absolutely. And yeah. jeans, it doesn't matter who you are wearing jeans, you can still look at the style and the shape of them, can't you? You know, no matter who's yeah. wearing them. Because and everybody, <laughs> you know, and everybody's body suits jeans. You know, it's it's this thing as well where where people go, well, women shouldn't wear bikinis. Well, why not? Everybody suits a bikini, so we're not a bikini everybody wants to wear one. No, this yes. is true. And uh, so, this, this texter says, I think the only real sin men should avoid when wearing jeans is showing their butt crease when bending over. <laughs> Mm. That's for it. Yes, for I everybody. agree. Well, it's not a jeans thing. Is it? it's, just no. a, yeah. it's just a low slung thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's 23 <laughs> minutes to five RNZ National. My uh, guests on the panel are Zoe George, Stuff Senior Sports Journalist, and Simon Wilson, Senior Writer at the New Zealand Herald. And we're going to talk about Lotto next. Text me about your Lotto habit. Is Lotto, to your mind, if you've got one, uh, is it as bad as playing the pokies? Text me on 2101. Because New Zealanders, we spend $1.5 billion a year on Lotto's gambling products. That's Lotto, Strike, Powerball, Kino, Bullseye, and Instant Kiwi. And that's nearly double what we spent a decade ago. And RNZ Sky and Espiner has done this in-depth investigative series on lotto sales. Part one was published today, and he's found that nearly 70% of lotto shop sales are made in the poorest half of the community. Uh, lotto says it accepts it has too many stores in low-income areas, and it's going to shut some of them down. Uh, join, not necessarily because of that. I think that was on the cards anyway. Joining us is National Operations Manager for the Salvation Army's Oasis program, Lisa Campbell. Kia ora, Lisa. Oh, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It would seem obvious, wouldn't it, that if you're short on cash and you're dreaming of a better life, you'd play lotto? Yeah, and that actually is the problem, isn't it? Um, that that it, it really kind of feeds or encourages people to spend money, especially when there's a big jackpot uh, coming up, but it's really taking out of their household uh, spending, especially when they're in, you know, vulnerable communities, you know, in the poorest half of our um, country. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite insidious. Lotto CEO Chris Lyman he admits that Lotto stores he says well they have been uh, more highly concentrated in poorer areas, but he says it's the middle class who play Lotto. Is he right? I don't think so. Not even if I take my own family into account, I'm probably I'm probably in the middle range and 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 the person that doesn't spend it. But my mother, who's on a benefit, uh, people like that, you know, they're they're thinking they they're they're paying because of that um, dream that's touted really from uh, Lotto. But probably money could be better spent in uh, you know in other areas in that, of their life. And I think when we've got this um, cost of living crisis. You know, with what's happening at the moment, that's even more important that we're really careful around um, encouraging gambling. What do you reckon would be the average spend uh, on Lotto weekly for an individual? Would it be maybe six bucks, up to 20 bucks, something like that? Uh, no, I would say that it's higher. Uh, it's a higher level than that. You know, it's really interesting. I've been behind people in that that have um, bought four hundred dollars worth of lotto tickets in one outing at a petrol station lotto 
um, place. So you'd be surprised, really, uh, how much is is spent on it. But like I said, it's 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 when it comes out of the pockets of people that don't have that um, discretionary spending um, that it becomes really problematic. Personally, I, I find endlessly losing at lottos quite a disincentive. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to stop soon. <laughs> yeah, but but would someone who's a gambler find the opposite? You know, like as in I'm going to win this time. Yeah, I think you know that's the whole part of um, that kind of an addictive nature of gambling. It becomes almost a habit. So even though you're losing, like you said, you know you're still doing it. There's still that chance that you could be the winner this time. And I think people are, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of what we call cognitive biases and that, that come in. So people aren't really thinking with their rational rational uh, mind. So they're not thinking about, you know, they're more likely to be hit by lightning than they are by winning um, a, lotto, <laughs> a lotto draw. And it's a Crown entity, the New Zealand Lotteries Commission trading as Lotto New Zealand since 2013. It's a Crown entity. It operates nationwide lotteries in New Zealand. So is the Crown here being irresponsible? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, Coming from uh, my perspective, I would say yes. I mean, I understand that there is um, benefit in, uh, in the community funding and the money that goes back to the um, community, but probably, you know, it's a bit like a regressive taxation system, isn't it? You know, we're taking money out of um, those that can least afford it uh, to um, to help or to fund Hello, other areas. Yeah. And Zoe, do you see Lotto as as problematic gambling or a weekly flutter? Oh, I, awesome. I do. For me, gambling is um, is incredibly problematic, and particularly from a sporting standpoint as well. Not just lotto, but our class four gaming, in which the money from our pokies goes back into community groups, including sports groups. So, lotto says that one hundred percent of their profits go back into the community, and almost fifty percent of those profits go into either Sport New Zealand, um, Creative New Zealand, the um, Film Commission, Nautonga Sound and Vision. Uh, and so my question is, because of all this money coming from, you know, 70% of these groups, is the equivalent going back into those communities um, or is more going into the communities? I'm very keen to to understand that because unfortunately in lots of these areas there is a reliance on this type of these types of grants and so I have a slight issue with it you know we, for me we should be looking at funding these organizations properly instead of relying on gambling money but it's an ongoing discussion particularly within sport you know? I, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Uh, and there's not a lot understood I mean we're only starting to look at this really on the in the class four and the Pokies, the pubs and clubs um, pokies, but it certainly seems like it's not going back into the communities uh, in an equitable way that it's coming out of. Um, so, yeah, big question mark on that. The other thing when uh, Lotto talks about 100% of its profits uh, going, um, you know, being uh, distributed out, um, I guess they're correct when they say 100% of profits, but the running costs includes a huge budget on advertising. Uh, so you know, there's there's less money available, and that to go uh, to be distributed out with such a huge advertising budget, as well yeah. as the many other costs. Yes, and it's all about the dreams, isn't it? Just imagine. Yes.
Mm. You know, you put yeah, into Yeah, they do a, a wonderful job in <laughs> the advertising. Yeah. Simon, is playing Lotto as bad as the pokies? Lotto's got a cleaner image. Um, I, I was going to say that on, on the bright side of all this, Lotto's like ice cream. Um, you, you know, you, if you have an occasional ice cream, it's fabulous. It's a, it's a <laughs> relatively cheap little treat for yourself. And buying the occasional lotto ticket is a relatively cheap little treat for yourself. And who knows? It's not that you do it because it's your life savings plan. You do it because you just might just – who knows what might happen. Um, so at that level, there's not really a problem with it. But that's not the only level at which it works. People no. eat too much ice cream, they will get – diabetes and they will die of it but um, but as and, lisa's uh, saying it's a way out yeah. it's a it's a possibly a way out you know yeah, yeah. they so, think that yeah. they, they might win and then all of this is going to go away but actually if yeah, you're doing be, it because would, sorry lisa i was going to say that would be all right if uh if the um lotto stores and that were only in um in uh, communities and that, uh, you know, in the wealthy communities, but the fact that <laughs> yeah. 70% are in the poorer communities, uh, then I don't think we can, we can make those sorts of statements that it's not harmful and it's just a general flutter because of that very I th- reason. I think you're right, and, and it tells you everything you need to know that, that it is 70%, and they knew all about that. Mm. The, the stores aren't mm. there accidentally. They're there because the Lotteries Commission decided to put them there. Um, so yes, you're quite right, and 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 that's the problem with Lotto that it's it's not an occasional ice cream for a lot of people. It's a, mm. it, it's a it's a blight on the way they live, uh, and, and it's preying on them. And it's also online now, of course, not just retail yeah. outlets. Yeah. It's pretty easy to get to. Yeah. Although they do shut down, they have hours where they you can't gamble okay. yeah. in the middle of the yeah. night. I, I think Zoe's quite right too about the, the funding. A huge increase in the online sales over the COVID time and everything else was uh, shut down. Um, so they did very, very well uh, over that uh, period too. And of course, I'm not too sure of any statistics available um, for in the online uh, sales and that whether they link that to um, ethnicity groups or to, uh, you know, locations, geographical locations, so we can do that same analysis. So that would be interesting. Lisa, thanks for joining us this afternoon. You're most welcome. Thank you for inviting me. That's the National Operations Manager for the Salvation Army's OASIS program, Lisa Campbell. It's 14 minutes to five and up to 230 jobs could be going at Auckland University of Technology thanks to low enrolments and a significant drop in international students, AUT announced today that it's going to review administration and support roles and a small number of courses. Tertiary Education Union President Tina Smith's with us. Kia ora, Tina. Kia ora, Karen. Nice to talk to you. And you. Have you been in touch with AUT about this? Um, we've certainly been talking to our members today. They're pretty shocked and unhappy about this. I bet they are. How concerning is this for you that such a substantial proportion of AUT staff could lose their jobs? Karen, look, it's 230 full-time equivalents of staff, so it could be a lot more people than that affected. Um, Just in terms of full-time equivalents, they're looking at losing over 150 academic staff um, and about 80 general or professional staff, those fantastic administrators and IT people that are the glue that hold people together. And the academic staff, obviously, they're the ones that are crucial to student learning. Well, they've got a they've got a reason or the, a rationale for doing it. Uh, Dropping international students, school leavers not going to AUT or university. So, what what could they do? 
Um, they could do a lot, actually. They made a $12.8 million surplus last year and a $12.2 million surplus in 2020. Uh, look, I acknowledge that um, student numbers are going to be down. Students, like everyone else, have had a really tough time over COVID. Um, but the staff who've really gone over and above to look after students have also had a tough time. And what you don't do is um, suddenly say, oh, well, you did a great job, you helped us out, now we're going to throw you out. Um, and part of this is done on forecasting. Their forecasted budget was $6.8 million, and then they had a, a surplus of $12.8 million. So their forecasting isn't great. So, so what you expect them to just dip into what they've got in the bank and keep those staff on? Um, I do think that this is a time where government can step up um, and help the tertiary sector. The thing that you and I know is that our economy, our country and businesses really need skilled staff at this time. We need people to learn, to have become qualified and be able to help build back better after all the changes that have happened in the last couple of years. One of the things about AUT is it's actually had um, a higher percentage than other universities of low decile students. And so to cut staff from supporting those students who are some of the ones we really need to succeed because we don't want people to end up just working in low-income jobs that at the moment where they can get some money, yes, there's low unemployment, you can go out and earn a job, but you're not going to advance yourself or your whanau or this country for the future. And we need this country to do really well in the future and to take a long view, not a short-sighted view on education. And, and now that you've been presented with this, what is the Tertiary Education Union going to do? Have you started with a plan? Um, absolutely. We'll be meeting with our members um, later on this week and our members are going to do everything we can do um, to fight this and we'll be standing beside them and behind them. One of the rationales that they've given is the percentage um, that they spend on staffing and again, we're really sad to see that AUT's trying to say, oh well we've benchmarked ourselves against some other universities and We've been spending a little bit more on staff and we think we should therefore um, spend less. Staff are what makes the difference. I mean, Karen, I presume you did some form of study in your younger day. Do you remember what you learnt or do you remember the people who helped you do that learning? And they are the ones who made a real difference. And they are the people that we need to keep in the system. Thank you, Tina. Thanks. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the story for sure. Thank you. Okay, lovely talk. Thank you. Bye. Tertiary Education Union President Tina Smith. Uh, is she right, Simon? And I think she's right and wrong. Um, I, I think Tina's absolutely right that the country needs to develop a higher wage economy and critical to that is tertiary education. And AUT has a particularly important role to play because, as Tina says, uh, it has a larger than usual proportion of lower income students. Um, and it's an extraordinarily innovative university. It is a university that is actively trying to look at what is the future of this country in the future world and how do we f 
put students meaningfully into it. And not all the universities or not all parts of all the universities are, are thinking like that. They are. So that's great. The downside of it, though, is that in, in the coming through and out of COVID world, we all have to evolve. There are every sector of, of society will be developing new ways to do things. And one of those uh, is education. AUT's lost 40% of its overseas students. It has to respond to that. Uh, it has to evolve. And this is part of that. And so how else could they have future-proofed, if indeed they could have, for the situation? <sighs> Well, talking about that surplus that they've had, you know, 12.8 million last year, 12.2 million the year before, that's not an insignificant amount of money. Um, so where can that money be better used to ensure that the staff are looked after, that the students are looked after, that the future is bright? Um, but they're not the only university going through this. I understand Massey has gone through it as well. Um, and there has been multiple restructures from multiple universities, even before for COVID. So I guess it's like every sector, you know, you always, there are always restructures. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, my heart goes out to many of the academics there. I, I know a few of them and um, they're amazing people. And so I just, I wish them all the best. And I hope that their um, negotiations and consultation period is robust, but strong and, um, and they get a resolution that they're happy with. Because it's not easy. It's not an easy process. Thanks, Zoe. And it's seven minutes to five. Uh, All Blacks 53, Argentina 3. I think they could call that a pasting. Uh, um, Those meanies, another try right at the end. Uh, His analysis of the game, we're joined by sports writer and journalist Hamish Bidwell. Kia ora, Hamish. Good afternoon. Are you there? Gotcha. Hello. Good afternoon. You got me? Yep, gotcha. Massive turnaround, obviously, for the ABs. So what changed? Well, it's hard to read a lot into it because um, the All Blacks and New Zealand rugby have told us that most of their results this season didn't count. Ignore the losses, ignore the poor performances, everything's fine. So you can't then turn around as fans and pundits and suddenly eulogise the wins. Like either all the games matter and all the results count or they don't. So um, you can't conveniently just celebrate wins and ignore the, the rest of the stuff. So it's good that they won. I mean, it means we can get on with our lives a little bit and stop having this endless debate about Ian Foster and his suitability and Sam Kane as captain, but um, oh, it didn't mean a lot, did it? Fifty-three, three, not good enough for you. <laughs> it's not a question of that. It's a question of their standards of excellence, which they've maintained for over 100 years. Like they are the ones who set the benchmark, and if they don't live up to it, we don't have to stand around and applaud them. Hamish, can I ask you a question about this? If we were talking about another sport, let's just say cricket in another part of the world, We'd be looking at this run of results and going, hang on, <laughs> wouldn't we? We'd be thinking it was fixed. I'm not suggesting it is fixed in rugby, but it is <laughs> astonishing to me how volatile these results have become. Feel free to say something, Zoe. Oh, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how, how long have we got? We've got five minutes. Uh, no, you've you know, you three. Uh, yeah, for me, I think, and I've said this multiple times on the panel, is, you know, and Hamish is right, we've had a, this excellence culture for more than 100 years, and teams do stumble, and in the loss, in the wake of the losses, particularly against South Africa and Ireland, there was a whole lot of awful stuff that was said about the All Blacks, and um, particularly on social media, some of it was incredibly racist and awful, and I just keep saying, as fans, we have a role to play in lifting up our teams, and that comes from a place of being a 
Hurricanes supporter for more than 20 (laughs) years, and the Hurricanes don't win very much. Um, And so you just get used to it. And I think we have a role to play in ensuring that culture of excellence as well. So what does it look like to be an excellent fan? And when the chips are down, it's not about kicking our team and going, they don't deserve to be there, they're terrible, get rid of them. It's going... We still care about you. We know you've got this. We know that you're going through a rough patch, but we know that you can turn it around. So just keep going. Um, they have been a little bit inconsistent, you know, all those losses. Yay, a win, and then another loss and another win. So it's been up and down. We're 12 months out from the World Cup. We are going to just have to stick with Ian Foster for now. And I wonder in 12 months' time, which I, I believe that we can turn it around, and when we win the World Cup or if we get to the semifinals and we do really well, that all of this is forgotten. Um, so, yeah, I'm all about lifting up the team instead of dragging them down and going, actually, I believe in you and you've got this. But Hamish may disagree with me, no, which is totally I'll, fine. Zoe, can I just say, uh, you win. I think that is the <laughs> best comment I've heard about any of this. So, fabulous. Thank you. You, oh, you thank win. You. <laughs> uh, Hamish, can, can Ian Foster come out of detention now? No, of course not. He's utterly untenable And every word indeed, the man is, is an imposter. And I just don't think... I'm not a fan, and one of the reasons there's been, probably from the traditional media, more criticism of him than in the past is because those of us who've dealt with the All Blacks for a living have been treated really badly. And when the mm. team wins, you put up with that and you accept your lowly place on the totem pole. But when the cracks start to emerge and when the performance of NZR publicly is poor, when the performance of the team is poor, then, then media people find their voice because actually they've been put upon and bullied for a long time and, and actually they don't enjoy what's happening to the All Blacks, but they don't, they're not cowed into supporting them as, as they probably have been in the past. <laughs> mm. Yeah, thank you very much, Hamish. Thanks for that analysis. You do. Hamish Bidwell, sports writer and journalist. And uh, we're coming up to uh, one minute away from five. Uh, Lots of um, response from you, particularly about um, Lotto and about the middle class panel. Simon, I think that might have been aimed at you. Oh, me. Okay, right. Oh, well. Okay. What it is. It is what it is. That's right. (laughs) Simon Wilson, thank you very much. Senior writer at New Zealand Herald, thank thank you. you very much. And Zoe George. Senior sports journalist at Stuff, thank you. Thank you. Always a pleasure. And you're going to keep being positive. I like that attitude. Yeah. yeah. I'll try. <laughs> I'll be back tomorrow in place of Wallace Chapman all this week. Lisa Rowan with Checkpoint is next.